Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Friday, 4th of July week, Independence Day for our great country, the United States of America. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments, this was our only show of the week, so apologize for that. It's coming out late, but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. I was in Dallas, Texas for the opening finals and then, of course, uh, Independence Day. So we're trying to squeeze in a show before the end of the week. We'll be back, hopefully, a normal schedule next week. But if you want to email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you'd like to call or text, the number is 424-254-9141. You can call. You can text. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. We got a voicemail this week. We got a text this week. Of course, we got... Plenty of emails, and we want to talk with Dan Weber here on the podcast. So let's welcome in Dan Weber, who's on the road, uh, out in secret assignment somewhere. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Yeah, yeah it's uh, uh, not all that secret. Uh, uh, back home, and uh, I'm, I'm actually sitting at, you will hear some announcements, I'm guessing, at the Greater Cincinnati Airport on my way back to, to Southern California. But uh, we had uh, all eight Weber siblings back first time in 12 years i have a sister who lives in perth australia the most remote major city in the world and uh, 3,000 miles in any direction to the next nearest uh, city so uh and she doesn't get that her birthday is july 5th so we got all the weather family back home in uh, northern kentucky for the uh for uh, her birthday so so big big doings uh here in uh, northern kentucky Nice. Well, I'm glad you got the uh, family reunion during Independence Day week. It was kind of a strange week because, you know, the holiday landing on a Wednesday, but you'll be back in town and uh, should be USC took the week off uh, for as far as conditioning and throwing goes, but should be back to normal this week. We can talk to players. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we only get two or three weeks in before fall camp, but we should get some interesting stuff, I think, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it would be. Uh, uh, still, we won't be able to get, get to the freshmen, but uh, uh, it should be, uh, I mean, we may not almost have enough time to talk to everybody before um, uh, we get into, into actual practice, but then we get to talk to them after practice as well. So it's amazing how quickly this has come up on us. It just seems quicker this year than, than I recall, and, and I don't know why, but uh, it's almost here. It is almost here, and we're excited for – some, I don't know, just some really interesting position battles. Uh, what, as far as who's going to end up being the quarterback, what this team is going to look like, how hard they're going to practice. Um, it's a, I, my wife actually, Jana brought it up yesterday because fall camp is supposed to start August 3rd, I believe. And last year they started in July. So it was a little longer. So it'll be maybe a little bit more condensed of fall camp this year, too. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, basically right now we, we had heard that the, the two weeks of, uh, you know, regular fall camp practice, then a week of mock game, uh, a mock game week and a, and a game week. Uh, it seems a little, uh, uh, light on the, uh, you know, preseason August practice and a little heavy on, uh, mock game and game week, but, uh, but we'll see how, how that plays out because, uh, I think one of the characteristics of, of USC teams in recent years is they really look pretty good and um uh when they just go they're not getting ready for the game as much and they're not doing the game plan where they're just kind of getting ready for the season where they're you know more contact and more competition and then uh it kind of tails off once they start you know installing the game plan and doing you know the specific stuff for a specific opponent so so that kind of you know condensing it from five weeks to four weeks uh Maybe takes away a you know a week of uh, preseason practice and and puts it over into the uh, you know mock game week or whatever. It, I think that's a challenge for the coaches. I think they need to figure out uh, how to keep uh, what we often see going in those first couple of three weeks uh, going into the season. And uh, that's what coaching is all about. That's the challenge. That is the challenge for this USC coaching staff replacing the top passer, top receiver, top running back, some key players on defense. So we'll see uh, coming up in August. We'll get the the padded practices and a lot more. Uh, we'll do a lot more podcasts, obviously, but a lot of analysis will be going up on uscfootball.com. We got questions, Dan. But before we jump into that, I wanted to let everyone know about our friends over at Lisa Beds. They've been great with us here on the podcast. A quality night's sleep help you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, helps you make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall making fewer mistakes. So it's important to get a quality night's sleep. It's not marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress, they leveraged at Lisa 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's 26,000 mattresses and counting. They've donated already. And they strive to leave the world better than they found it at Lisa Beds. That doesn't stop with the mattress donations. With the Arbor Day Foundation, they plant one tree for every mattress they sell. And they're committed to planting a million trees by 2025. And we have a great offer here on the Peristyle Podcast. $160 off this summer of your Lisa Bed. So go to Lisa Matt. You can go to Lisa.com slash USC. Any Lisa mattress, go to lisa.com slash USC. You will get $160 off the mattress. We have it in our house and we love it. Uh, hopefully you guys get a chance to go check it out. Go to lisa.com slash USC. And if you get one, tweet me at Inside Troy. Let me know how you like it. Or you can email the podcast and, and do that as well. All right, Dan. So wanted to jump into some questions. Our buddy John uh, had a question for us. I'll read it for you and get your thoughts. He said, I think I'm officially tired of hearing that Clancy Pendergast only uses 13 or 14 players because they are the only players that he quote-unquote trusts. If USC was putting a top 10 defense on the field, I might buy it. If the defensive scheme that produces, uh, if the defensive scheme that produces mediocre results is so complicated that only a dozen players can understand it, maybe it's time for a new system. The only reason we found out that Christian Rector could play is because Port Augustine got hurt and Christian Rector actually had a chance to play. Do you think that Clay Helton will demand 
that Clancy figures out how to rotate more players into game. Thanks and fight on from John. Yeah, John, I think you speak a lot of, a lot of sense there. I think uh, Clay was already talking like that last year. I think, uh, and I, I think now we've got Clancy talking like that, which is the key, I believe. He knows he's got a lot of athletes. He knows, uh, you know, he's got a lot of young guys who haven't necessarily proven themselves, but they ought to be able to prove themselves. And so, uh, uh, I think, I think there's a consensus among everybody. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anybody that doesn't think you have to have more guys ready to play and you got to get more playing time for more people. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, so, so I think that's going to happen. I, I'd be shocked if it, if it didn't happen. This is a, you know, this is, we're a couple of years away from, uh, from the, the really bad, you know, effects of the, uh, sanctions and the scholarship numbers and all that. It's, uh, there are too many athletes on defense that have to get on the field. I mean, I know they're going to rotate a bunch of those guys, um, and the linebackers and what have you on the cover teams and things like that. But I think they've got to get in there and get, get real, uh, Real plays and uh, and rotate and uh, and so so I think what you say is is very commonsensical and I think it's something that no one disagrees with at this point. It just has to happen. They got to teach it well enough, uh, scheme it well enough. I know they've talked about simplifying it to some extent, but uh, but they just got to you know got to get it done this year with this group. It is such a deeper group. Even though you know there were some key losses, and even though like a guy like Jack Jones isn't around there, there are guys that can play all those positions, uh, every position group. And I don't know. I mean, that's always been my thought: is that this was just going to be a group that plays more guys. But it's still kind of hard to picture, Dan, because we've what we've seen in the past. It's just not been that way. Um, I'm I'm curious to see, and we're not going to really know uh, in fall camp. I would think you're going to, this is going to be a game kind of thing where, and maybe not even UNLV because you're going to probably play a lot of guys in that one anyway, where guys are, you know, you, you expect to have a, a fairly big lead and a lot of people will play, but you might see guys coming in at different positions. You might see guys coming in on third downs earlier in the game or things like that, make specialty stuff. But once you're hitting the Stanford's and the Texas's, are they playing 18 guys regularly or is it 13? You know, I, I'm, I kind of think it's going to be the 18, but we don't know yet. I think it better be a lot more than 18. Uh, I mean, one of the problems is, though, uh, you probably do not want to show Texas and Stanford, Stanford and Texas in that order what you're going to be doing in the UNLV game. I mean, you want to play a lot of guys. You probably just want to play them uh, and play them, you know, rotate them in, in groups or by positions or however you decide to do it. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, a lot of what Clancy wants to do is to, you know, to bring different kinds of pressures and, and, and blitzes and looks and what have you, which I don't think you're going to see in, in the UNLV game. So, you know, it's kind of a high wire act, uh, you know, without a net because you're going to unveil it at Stanford and you got to have it ready for Stanford. You got to have it ready for, uh, for Texas. And, uh, and so much of that is, you know, the communication aspect of it where everybody has to hear the same thing. Everybody has to do the same thing. I, I do think, uh, you know, that's where the Jack Jones, uh, you know, dismissal and that is, is the addition by subtraction. I just don't think he was always listening and always on the same, 
he had kind of, this is what I want to do, and didn't maybe worry about the whole you know, coordination thing with everybody else. But, uh, but I, I do think they've been teaching it differently. I don't think there's been that big a demarcation between the first group and the second group and things like that. They, they, they look like they're more interchangeable and that they're building them to be more interchangeable. And I like that. So, you know, I think we'll see in practice the interchangeability. It won't be so much, you know, this is the first unit and this is the second unit. Cause, cause when you look at, you know, you look at all the different position groups, the down, down linemen, the, the linebackers, uh, uh, the secondary guys, you know, there's not a group that doesn't have at least two full, uh, units that you feel like, you know, you could play any of them. So, uh, I I just think it has to happen. I think it's going to happen. Uh, I just think it's, it's inevitable. It can't not happen. As long as Levi Jones gets out there somewhere, I'll be happy, Dan. I, he's got to play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and especially by the Texas game. Um, um, I, you know, and he, know, he knows that, too. I mean, he did get a little uh, work last year against Texas. Yeah. And I know he's looking forward to, he's looking forward to going home uh, to Austin this year. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, there's just a lot of guys like uh, like Levi that you know look like they can run and and uh, you know get them doing the right thing. They've got it, you know. And I got freshmen that you think, gosh, I don't know, how do you keep them off the field? Yeah. And uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be really an interesting coaching challenge. I mean, it's it's just now you got to get it done, coaches. You really do. All right, we have a voicemail question next. I'll play it for you. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. Um, when anybody talks about the Trojans running back depth chart, they start with Stephen Carr first and describe how great he is, and I understand that. But isn't he coming off of a herniated disc surgery? Isn't, I'm not a scientist, but isn't the disc your spinal cord and... Have you guys seen uh, these injuries in the past? How long does it take to come back for a running back who gets hit a lot? You know how our running backs get hurt a lot. Over the years, we go through a lot of running backs. We should not rush him coming back. Let's go to the other guys. I can't wait to see this real big back, which we should continue to recruit, by the way, uh, step. Uh, but answer that for me and the rest of the podcast. Thank you. Fight on Curtis Moreno Valley. Hey, Curtis. Uh, yeah, I think it would, if it would have been a herniated disc, I do think you'd really have to be careful. Uh, uh, but, uh, but it's not. It was, uh, we had some, uh, uh, some particles, some little debris kind of stuff in there that was, uh, uh, close to a nerve. And so basically, it was a fairly simple thing where they just uh, essentially uh, cleaned those out. And uh, so it wasn't a structural thing in terms of, you know, a functional part of his back. You know, it's not like you're, a, you know, you're hitting a baseball or you're a golfer or whatever, and you're torquing that back and you've got a herniated disc. Uh, you know, that's a whole different, you know, set of issues. But, uh, but I mean, I'm... From what we understood, Stephen tried to get him to let him come back at the end of spring. Uh, that that they're really and they're being. I think they're being very careful. And we haven't seen him in, the, in you know any team stuff at all, and basically almost not on the field at PRP. So they're just not taking any chances with him. But uh, but I don't disagree with you on seeing the other guys have a chance 
I will agree that uh, Martin Stepp at 230 pounds and, and, and absolutely doesn't look like he should be uh, just coming out of high school. Uh, it's quicker feet than I, I really anticipated. Uh, and I guess, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, but it's kind of my prejudice against, uh, you know, 230-pound Midwest kids. You don't expect them always to be able to have those quick feet and be able to pick them up and stop on a dive and move. And he's so far been been real impressive. Uh, he also catches the ball well, which uh, both Aka Cedric Ware and, uh, and Vavai Malapai do. Obviously, Stephen Carr does. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think they've got, you know, a whole bunch of people that, uh, you know, that they can, uh, you know, cycle in and out of there and don't have to, I mean, you don't have to just say it's, it's all on, on Stephen. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they – how they handle that and whether they're able to get Marquis step, uh, you know, some, some reps really early. Uh, he did that a few years ago with Tommy Robinson. I thought he did a good job of, of getting four and five guys into the rotation and, and getting really legitimate, uh, you know, reps and carries and experience. And, uh, I think with this group, when you've got a group where they basically can do everything and they, you know, they're all big enough to be power runners at 215 pounds. And then Marquise at 230, they all catch the ball. Uh, they all got pretty quick feet. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, the interesting, I mean, this is one of the reasons that this team needs to be a run first team because I think you got to get enough running plays in, uh, you know, just to give everybody a chance and you got to force teams, I think, to defend the run. You got to just force them to stop the run, which I think will make, make the job of a new quarterback, whoever it is much easier so so but but uh, but i think steven is is not nearly uh in a difficult situation uh physically in terms of his rehab uh, after surgery than uh, than a, a herniated disc that that was not his issue that uh that running back rotation is going to be really interesting to me and i 24 7 was doing these video features and they asked me to pick like a breakout player and there's a lot of p- potential people there but i i thought i could centric where i just kind of a feeling he's gonna have a big year he'll be a true senior he gets to go back to texas uh you know like, like we saw with levi joe and so i kind of think he's gonna be good i don't think it's gonna be this is the guy all year that guys always get hurt they're gonna move in and out i think you're gonna see you know three or four all those guys have potential but i, I don't know do you think do you think i cedric where could have a big one i like no i i really liked uh, i liked your pick i liked i said i like him you know, personally, attitude-wise, uh, talent-wise, I like everything about him. Uh, and he gets a chance to be himself uh, with Rojo moving on. And no, I like. I thought that was a really good pick. I, I thought he's uh, he's just a kid that you know he could do everything. And he's kind of been waiting his uh, turn. I mean, there hasn't been a time where he's gotten a chance to do something that he hadn't produced. It's just there. You know, there weren't all that many opportunities for him, but. Uh, but he's a tough kid, tough runner, slasher. Uh, again, he catches the ball, uh, and he's been around. And he'll be. Um, he, he, I, I have a really good feeling about him. So yeah, I thought that was a really good. That was a good pick. All right. Uh, not everyone thought that was a good pick. So I got some. Uh, they're Vavai Malapai yeah, fans. I like that <laughs> yeah, that's just the thing. You know, it's like, and I really just kind of. There's a lot of choices. I just kind of put that off the top of my head. But yeah. my gut feeling is he's going to have. It's going to be a good year for him where, you know, he comes in with Ronald Jones. It was kind of in a shadow like now he's not. And yeah, we'll see. I mean, a lot of things can happen. 
Um, let's go. I guess we got Tom. Yeah, he's got more. I think he's got more talent than people that have gotten to see. He's got. I mean, he's a really talented back, and he was a talented back in Texas. I mean, one of the you know the best couple of running backs in Texas coming out that year. And he's got just just they had a chance to show it. But uh, he's a talented kid. Well, let's go, Tom from the South Bay. He says, Dan, I remember the first game for Matt Barkley as a freshman. Uh, against Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio. Correct me if I'm wrong. In that game, Pete made the game plan so simple for the freshmen. Just short passes and more runs. It worked so beautifully, and Matt developed confidence uh, and took control of the game and ended up winning that game on the road in a very hostile environment. Do you think that Clay Helton can do that uh, to any of the new quarterbacks this year? I don't. Uh, what do you think? Tom of the South Bay doesn't. Well, I think, like yeah, I think the benefit he had there was uh, he, he uh, uh, Matt Barkley got the uh, best performance of his college career by Joe McKnight, uh, who just, especially on that last drive. And they, and USC defense, people forget, they just flat out shut, I mean, pretty much took Ohio State mostly out of the game. And, and that got the place a little quiet. Uh, by the end, uh, and then USC makes that, you know, drive and, and, uh, and wins the game. So I, it makes the point though that you better have your defense ready to play against people like that and, and keep them within range. But yeah, I thought the, I thought the game plan, uh, the stuff they did with Matt was all the kind of stuff that didn't put a lot of pressure on him. And, uh, they took advantage of, of USC speed on the edge against Ohio State. Ohio State, I don't think, got to see you know all that many teams that uh had uh, you know when Jeremy Knight was right he was really difficult to contain and he just started running by people you know with those short passes so uh so, yeah I would think that would be you know that would be the game plan is, is try to get a lot out of your you know I, I hope all year that they get those quick throws to the the, the tailbacks to me those are just extended long handoffs uh and uh you know takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback if you can do that uh so yeah yeah i think that that's a that's a very good uh you know that would be i would be showing these kids the uh 2003 usc game at auburn when they opened at auburn with matt liner uh, in a very cut down uh game plan in his first game and then the ohio state game with matt barkley as a freshman i think those would be two really good games to to show this team uh, you know, on on a continuing loop, I would think through August, just to just to remind them, this is how you do it. This is how you go into places like that and you beat people, uh, even if you you've got quarterbacks making their first start, whatever. Uh, it can be done. USC's done it, and that's how I think you got to think. I, I, I it, it does surprise me the number of people that you read on you know on the P. Who just are willing to concede one or both of those games, and I'm, I'm just not, not, not with USC talent, not with USC's tradition. I just don't think you can you concede any games. Uh, uh, I don't care if you got a first time starter quarterback or not. You gotta, you know, gotta be a time when somebody's got to start, you know, first time, and uh, when you got the kind of talent USC's got, I just don't think you concede anything to anybody. Uh, you shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got a text from Mark in Las Vegas. Uh, which do you think with Clay Helton's better coaching job, the 2016 
10 and 3 Rose Bowl winner or the 2017 11 and 3 Pac 12 champs? And here's the second part of the question, but we'll do this one first. Uh, 2016, I think. Uh, I mean, there were circumstances that made it a little difficult to get the right choice of quarterback and come out. And they had no idea how to get ready for a team like Alabama. Not, you know, that's on them. But they did figure, and, and, and you know, they, they didn't get squared away for Stanford. Almost got squared away for Utah. But they didn't let them throw it back. I mean, a lot of coaches, that could have been the death sentence. You know, man, and they didn't. And, uh, you know, to finish up, uh, you know, again, it was a weird game. that You know, the Penn State game in the Rose Bowl where you – you shut them out two quarters and you give them 49 points the other two quarters. But the poise and the presence on the sidelines and the not being, you know, flustered, you're down 14 in the, you know, fourth quarter to Penn State. Uh, I, I thought that would be, that was the, you know, winning, uh, last year winning the Pac 12, it's like one of those, well, hell yes, they ought to win the Pac 12. I mean, why not? I mean, you know, that was, the, you know, the conference that went one and eight in the bowls. I mean, USC with the recruiting USC's had, you have to win the Pac-12 last year. I mean, you just do. Uh, so, so last year I thought they they did not figure out what they needed to do offensively. Uh, they didn't figure out how to get ready for, for teams that you know were physically, uh, you know, really physically challenging like Ohio State and, and uh, Notre Dame and and a Washington State on a Friday night. You just got to be ready, and they weren't. And they, they kept a lot of teams in the game that probably shouldn't have. And they, they, they just didn't they didn't really come up with, with things that Sam Donald could really show what it meant, you know, to have a Sam Donald at quarterback. Uh, so, uh, so I wasn't a big fan of last year's, uh, you know, to win yeah. the first ever Pac-12 championship. And, and they did beat Stanford twice. You know, they had one great game against Stanford early. And then, uh, you know, held on. They were definitely superior in the championship game. They held on, but uh, it wasn't, you know, one of those performances that you're going to remember. Uh, they should not have had to hold on yeah. against Stanford. So, uh, so definitely the 2016 yeah. uh, uh, year. One hundred percent correct. Um, I mean, you talk, look at 2016. Awesome win against Penn State. Awesome win on the road against a top five Washington team. The only team to beat Colorado. Uh, that you know, end up winning the South that year. There were some really good wins in that, and and obviously struggling early and then putting it together and and rattling off, uh, you know, nine straight wins, significant. And I think 2017 is like the year of beating Stanford twice, which is great. But that I mean, that was about about uh, the ba- the main accomplishment, I guess you could say, from last season. Um, yeah, and, and and you know, the only that served you is, for example. Uh, and, and you can take credit for this in a way. Stanford crushes Notre Dame, you know, beats them, what, 35 to 21 or whatever. And USC gets crushed by Notre Dame. I mean, come on, you beat Stanford twice. They beat Notre Dame by a couple of touchdowns and you get crushed by Notre Dame. Come on. You just, those, you can't have those. I'm sorry. You yeah. gotta, you gotta show up against Notre Dame. Um, you just gotta. Yeah, to look that bad against Notre Dame and Ohio State, um, especially later in the season, that's that's why you can't really give it to 2017. It was nice. It was great to win the Pac-12 championship, but um, there's some some holes there still. 
Uh, he also says, do you think USC's performance versus Ohio State is different if we play them in the Rose Bowl like we would in any other year instead of that fancy parking lot in Dallas? Not saying we win, but maybe a different team shows up. Mark in Vegas. You know, Mark, I think the mismatch between their uh, defensive front and USC's offensive front and what USC was trying to do was so great that I'm not sure wherever that game would have been played, the way Ohio State decided to take USC out of that game, to take Sam Darnold out of that game, I'm not sure it would have helped them uh, if they played that in Pasadena. Uh, I just think they just they couldn't locate. The, I mean, let's face it, USC had, I think, 402 yards on offense. Ohio State had 277 or whatever it was. I mean, USC played a winning game on defense. Uh, they don't turn the ball over. Ohio State, you know, would have been lucky to score twice. You know, they, they obviously had the lead. They weren't going to take any chances, Ohio State. But, uh, but uh, man, the mismatch, USC's offensive line against their defensive line, and the fact that USC couldn't run the ball at all either. I mean, they couldn't do, they couldn't do either. Uh it's hard to win a game like that if the other team doesn't give you, uh, you know, some scores, which uh, with Barrett they probably weren't going to do. Uh, so, um, so I, I don't, I don't think that changes, you know, the circumstances. I, I just don't. They, USC wasn't ready to play. They weren't physically ready to play. Uh, they weren't mentally ready to play, uh, and, and and it showed. We have a question from our buddy Nick. He says, hey, it's Nick in Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick, 21 USC from the P. That means the peristyle over on uscfootball.com, our huge USC message board, if you don't know what that is, which you should. Uh, wishing everyone at the site a safe and happy 4th of July. Quick question. How does the defensive line look? Uh, how has the defensive line looked for summer workouts? Is there a sense of optimism in this position group after losing Green and Fatu? If we own both lines of scrimmage this year, it won't really matter who starts at quarterback, Carr's health, and as we saw as Ohio State owned us on the defensive line and did what they wanted to do, it in turn made the DBs look better than advertised. Fight on from Nick. Yeah, I think that what you're seeing on the defensive line is what you ought to see in a big time program. And, you know, where you, you know, you wish the guys that, that move on, uh, you know, Fratello and Green, you know, well. And you say, you know, we're going to be better this year with the guys we got. And, and you get guys that, uh, uh, young athletes who are a year more mature, uh, they look, uh, leaner and fitter and, uh, and more mature and more ready to play. And you got enough of them that, you know, you can compete one against another and, and rotate them in and out. You got some, you know, you got some veterans, you got you know, obviously Rector in there. Uh, I, I, I like the looks of the defensive line a lot. Uh, I have a, a, a really good, I have Malik Thornton. I don't ever want to, uh, you know, pass on Malik. So you've got a couple of veterans and you got some really, you know, I think really talented, uh, big bodied athletic, uh, kids, uh, you know, with them. So, uh, I have a, have a good feeling about, about the defensive line. I, I just, I think they could be a, a real strength. It's the kind of defensive line that if you're going to be in the playoffs, you're going to challenge or, uh, you know, getting there and getting it all, and winning it all, 
you have to have a defensive line that, that looks a little like that. And, uh, yeah, we'll see, you know, if they, if they play up to, to what it looks like their abilities are. But, uh, but, uh, I think they've got, you know, a defensive line that, that you can put them. I, I would, I think if they reach their potential, they can be a top five defensive line group. Uh, so that's just, that's my take. We should have a little bit of uh, video footage coming up. I shot it's so it's hard to see. The defensive line is usually really far away from where we are during the player run practices, but I shot some of it during the last uh, workout. I think Keely had a few computer problems, or she's just lazy. I don't know, taking some time off. She she's <laughs> she's right here in the room. She's like, no. Uh, so she she's working on it right now. I think actually. Um, so we'll have some of that. You can get a, a better look. Not all the guys were there. Uh, at the last workout, um, but we're trying to get a, a a view of some of the defensive players. We put up a video probably a week and a half ago that had like you could see uh, linebackers, uh, DBs, and some of the defensive linemen. So we'll put some more footage up too, so uh, you can look for yourself and uh, see what you like there. Um, Jason and, and I know Dan. Dan said, Dan, you were saying that it's actually better when you watch the video than when you're actually just looking at it. Yeah, no, it's absolutely with that, you know, telephoto lens or whatever they call them now. <laughs> uh, uh, you really get to see, cause I mean, we get to see him come in and go out and you can tell, okay, this kid's more defined. He's leaner. He's this, he looks this, you know, he's more mature, but it, you, you have to see that in their movement. And again, they're so far away with the naked eye, even with your binoculars. Uh, you don't get that quite of a sense that, uh, that I got just watching the, uh, you know, the video that, that Ryan got. And, uh, and you're seeing guys, uh, like I'm all into it, too. And, you know, after his back surgery and all that, and you're seeing, uh, you know, what kind of potential a kid like that has with, with his athleticism, you know, the wrestling champion and low center of gravity and the way he moves off the edge or a Jake Tufele or Brandon Peely. You got three guys that just have, uh, you know, great size and, and good feet and really good athleticism, and they look a year older now. And and uh, I would definitely check those those guys out. I think we know, although Malik Thornton to me just keeps looking like he does keep growing. You know, and you know he's a senior, he's been here forever, but uh, but he just he looks bigger than Christian Rector. Always surprises me with how big he is to some of the things he can do. Uh, so I, I, I like the looks of this, uh, you know, defensive line. You got Liam Jones and you got, uh, 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 and I'm trying to think, uh, who, who did we put down now? They put down somebody, uh, okay, so, um, on the ground now. Uh, Caleb, well, Caleb Tremblay, maybe, or so. Oh, I, I, and him, we don't, I don't, he looks like an athlete. I just, I have to admit, I haven't seen enough of him. Uh, I think he's going to uh, end up being like a defensive end. But. but I think he's another guy that you can kind of pencil in that he'll be out there. Uh, he's got a lower center of gravity than I had realized as well. And uh, more of a, you know, a, uh, let's say Marlon to Pelletti kind of, you know, physique. And uh, and then you get you know, the six foot seven, you know, Connor Murphy has uh, got his hand on the ground now. So, there are a lot of there are a lot of bodies, and I think that will be a good move for him. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of positives on that yeah. defensive front. Yeah, watch for Jay Tefele, who I like the most coming in as a freshman. He ends up redshirting, which was a little surprising, but 
I think he's made some strides. So he he might be a guy that just busts out during his redshirt freshman year. Yeah, he looks thicker and more mature. I mean, he was bigger than I had realized last year, but this year, I mean, he has a thickness about him that just looks like a a maturity uh, you know situation. He's got really good feet. He's like an ed, a guy that you know can it can get sideways on on the pass rush and uh, you know get to places where you know, a lot of times guys that size can't can't do it. So uh, yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think there's a lot of skill set there with uh, with some really good size. We had a question from Chris. What do programs such as Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or Georgia do during their summer periods? Did they run PRPs or primary, primarily emphasize strength and conditioning? If Coach Helton continues to run PRPs, should USC start doing a quote-unquote running game period similar to the passing game period? Maybe one day focused on the run game and the other day focused on passing game fight on from Chris. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, I think one of the things that maybe sets Alabama apart is I think when they went and hired strength and conditioning guys, they got mostly football coaches. So I don't think their strength and conditioning ever deviates all that much from football practice. Uh, you know, no pads and no coaches are there, but, um, uh, no tech, you know, coaches that are technically coaches, but, but, and I do think USC has incorporated a lot of the, uh, position specific strength and conditioning work. And I think that's been a good thing. I, and I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, sold on USC strength and conditioning. I, you know, I know it, it's an easy topic for everybody to get, uh, you know, get excited about. But, uh, but I think when we look at most of these guys, I think the strength and conditioning is, is working well. Uh, as far as the best way to go, uh, you know, with PRPs, I don't know that anybody's got an answer to that. I mean, one of the reasons you can't tell you what, what Alabama or Clemson or Georgia are doing is, uh, there's no media people anywhere around when they're, you know, running their PRPs. Uh, they might not let you in the same block as the, you know, as the stadium. Uh, but, uh, but I think people aren't a hundred percent certain what's the best way to go. Uh, in, in, you know, in terms of PRPs, because you still got a lot of, a lot of season to go. I think you, you want everybody to be on the same page. You want everybody, uh, you want timing as, as, as much as possible to be where it has to be. And yet, you know, you can't be going to quite full speed. It's just not really possible, uh, you know, without pads and without, you know, the, the absolute realism of, um, you know, scrimmage conditions or, or whatever. So, uh, but, you know, do you need to, you know, do a little more run, you know, with the run game? Maybe. I mean, they're doing, you do, they every year they do more of making their PRPs look like, uh, you know, real football and they're not just, you know, glorified throwing sessions. But, uh, but, but I don't know that anybody's got an absolute answer, uh, for that. And, and I'm including Alabama and Georgia comes in those teams. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a, uh, you know, a defined PRP that, that really works. Uh, but you do want to get quarterbacks on the same page with the uh, receivers and the running backs. You want to get, you know, the offensive and defensive line guys assignment, you know, familiar and assignment, you know, precise so that they get it exactly, uh, without, you know, without missing a beat. And, uh, I know the defense works an awful lot on assignments and on, you know, uh, 
how exactly I go on this. If you go here and I go here, uh, uh, there's a lot of work on that with, with the defense. Um, the offensive line working with, say, the quarterbacks in the passing game, without a real pass rush, you can do a lot to act, you know, feel like maybe you're simulating it a little bit, but it's really hard to do until you get into August. So, uh, so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not too bad on them, uh, you know, as far as what we see. I mean, we only, you know, all we see are the PRPs. I mean, there might be times where you'd like to see a guy uh, hustle onto the field or something like that so that they never not really, you know, fly out there if they need you at a particular position or whatever. And those are just, you know, little things that, uh, but um, I, I don't think we, anybody's going to have a good answer, and I'm including you know the big boys in terms of this is exactly the right thing to do in PRP. I'd be curious to see. Um, most aren't open, so you know, those big programs are a lot more secretive, and uh, you're not going to see exactly what they do. One thing we've seen change certainly is the the competitiveness. Um, there's not as many or any right now like one-on-one time, um, those kind of periods where the guys are just going after each other. Like it was, you know, you're in a backyard or something. Um, we're not seeing much of that. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if, you know, some of the bigger programs they'll do that more, but yeah. certainly at USC, they're not doing that right now. And then, you know, I had some of those, uh, you know, situations where guys have gone down and, you know, didn't get up, uh, cause they were maybe a little, out of, a little out of control. And, uh, you just, you really don't know where, how far do you, how far do you push it? But it is a, a little under, it does look like a kind of a regular, an abbreviated regular practice. The periods are fairly similar to, you know, from the, you know, uh, pre practice, uh, walkthrough to, you know, stretching and, uh, and calisthenics to breaking up into, you know, position groups and all that. It's basically, you know, an hour and 45 minute or an hour, or two hour practice cut down to maybe an hour and 10 minutes or whatever. And without pants, but, uh, it's very similar to regular practices. Is that a good thing or not? I don't know. There are some people who think it's, uh, it's better to try to, you know, keep things fresh and change them up and, and all that. I know Clay's a big believer in routine and, and getting down exactly what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons he'll have the mock game week where you practice the game week and stuff like that. Um, I might not be as much of you need to get into a routine and, and, and might be more of a, let's see some competition here. Uh, you know, not along to periods, uh, not taking any crazy chances, but just knowing that every day, uh, you're going to compete against the best other guy on the team who's on the opposite side from you. I just think that mentality and that ability to be, uh, in a game tempo, in a game competitive situation, every day of practice, every day you go out there, I think it's, I think that's really important. And if, if you're out there in situations where you're not quite game tempo, you're not quite game competitive, I just, I just, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I just think, you know, maybe you don't go as long, but you, you go a little bit harder when you, when you go. That's, that's me. All right. We, I know you got a flight to catch soon. We got a couple quick ones and we'll let you go. I don't know if they're quick, but there's two questions at least. Jason in Longhorn Country, what are your thoughts on this year's game against Texas? Tom Herman's first year seems to have been very similar to Pete's first year. They had an average record 
at 7-6, and six, but living in Austin and watching them a decent amount, they showed up with a tough and physical mentality every week and competed hard. Plus, you know Herman has this game circled after last year. If USC's coaching staff doesn't change their mentality quickly, this game has the potential to be another rude awakening similar to last year's Notre Dame game. I want to be optimistic, but SC's track record against tough and physical teams with similar talent has not been great lately. Fight on. Jason in Longhorn Country. Jason, I think the one factor that's different, Notre Dame had maybe the two best offensive linemen in the country, and they just crushed them up front. Notre Dame had a had a, a significant edge in, in turnovers for some reason. I'm not even sure anybody could figure it out, and USC played right into their hands there. That way, they had two weeks to get ready for the game, and they really did have the game circle. And USC, it was kind of like, oh, I guess uh, they're not in the Pac-12. Are they? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it didn't look like they even had any idea what the USC-Notre Dame uh, series meant. Uh, I do think the thing that has going to hurt Texas a little bit is uh, Texas had some really good people who aren't there uh, uh, this year. And I mean, some... You know, and I know it's easy to think, you know, Pete went from first year to second year and they were in the Orange Bowl and in the top four and maybe they're the best team in the country by the end of the year. I don't think Texas has that kind of personnel. I, mean, I think that's the, that's the holdup for Texas is, uh, they just don't have, I'm not sure their personnel this year is going to be better than their personnel was last year. Uh, and if I were Herman and I'm circling the Texas USC game, you better watch out. Because uh, they might have done that last year, and they got beat by uh, Maryland in the opener, uh, you know, in Texas. And they got to go to Maryland again this year in the opener. And so uh, uh, if I'm Herman, I'm not circling the USC game. I'd let the USC game take care of itself uh, with their fans, obviously. That'll, that'll be a big deal, but I wouldn't want to make it a big deal right now uh, if I were him. I mean, I do think USC has a relatively significant talent edge. Uh, uh, I wasn't convinced last year as much. Texas had some really, uh, you know, outstanding uh, wide receiver, that offensive tackle, that linebacker. Uh, they had some guys who could play who aren't there. So, uh, so I, don't, I, I, don't, I mean, they, USC better be ready to mix it up. I think, you know, they had just uh, really dominated Stanford last year. I just think they thought they could throw their you know, helmets out there and everything would be fine. And Texas came at them with everything they had on every play. And they caught them just totally uh, unprepared for that. Yeah, see, that was the first example. Well, maybe the Western Michigan a little bit, but uh, a really good example of, yes, he wasn't ready to play, wasn't ready to handle that kind of physicality. And uh, they better be ready to handle. And they better be the team that, you know, hands out the uh, physicality. And, uh, and that, that'll be the key. If they're not ready to be physical, yeah, they'll be in trouble. Uh, even if Texas doesn't have great talent, they'll be in trouble. And you got to come in there and then they got to play the way uh, USC played uh, against Auburn in 2003, where they just didn't let, you know, didn't let Auburn play. They just took them out of the game. And I think they may have the potential to do that, but, uh, you know, having the potential to do it and actually doing it are, uh, Two really different things. Very and, different. And hopefully things. they will. Hopefully they will remember yeah. that Texas brought it to them and they survived somehow. Or still, as uh, Matthew McConaughey 
was trying to figure out what the hell, how do we lose this game? Uh, he was, uh, cause it was hard to believe Texas lost that game. When you're standing there on the sideline, they should not have lost that game. Yeah. And they did. I mean, they played well enough to win. And that was Sam somehow willing them, you know, to the, the victory. But, uh, well, we got one see. last. Yeah, we'll was, see. Okay. One last one for you from our buddy Earl in West LA. In spite of the NCAA's best effort, USC has not had a losing season since the sanctions were imposed in 2011. Below are seven great victories from 2011 to the present. Can each of you rank your top three wins during that time in the order of the list below? So he says, uh, 2011, November 19th, USC beat Oregon, number four Oregon on the road, 38-35. Uh, that year, on the next week, USC defeated UCLA 50 to nothing. Uh, November 16th, 2013, USC upset Stanford 20 to 17. November 12th, 2016, USC upsets number four Washington on the road 26 13. January 2nd, 2017, beating Penn State in the Rose Bowl 52 49. And then September 16th, 2017, USC defeats Texas in overtime 27 24. And lastly, December 1st, 2017, USC beats Stanford 31 28 for the Pac 12 title. He said, bonus points ex- explain the significance of the four games you did not select as it relates to the program in general. And the season in particular. Enjoy the enjoy some swimmers when with from TJ's while you ponder this. Thanks for all you do, Earl in West LA. Um, well, that's uh, a lot. Of I would there. remove. Yeah, I removed the UCLA game uh, fifty to. The, I mean, yeah, the thing I remember about the game is they showed up in white uniforms and the surrender uniforms. It was like, you know, are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. It was like the year they tried to cover Mike Williams with some 5'7 corner yeah. who uh, was supposed to be good. It was like, you're kidding me, right? You can't be serious. Uh, so I, I'd take that yeah, off that's of there. Uh, I, would take, I would take the Stanford game off uh, last year, uh, the championship game. Uh, I would take the uh, bum, bum, bum. There's the other Stanford um, game, the 2013 upset, 20 to 17. Would you put that in I, there? I would, I would put that, I would put that in there. Okay. I would put that in there. I would, I think the Washington and the Penn State game, I think mean, the Washington game was a real statement. Uh, I would take there. Texas out uh, too. It was a classic USC game. Uh, yeah. The, the Texas win is not that. Uh, uh, that was a 7 and 16. No, I wouldn't win. say that. Take the Texas win yeah. off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then what you have left are so, Oregon on the road. The Stanford upset, Washington on the road, and then Penn State. Who would you put? You know what? I mean, I love the Penn State game because of the poise and all that, but I don't know any game where you gave up 49 points in two quarters. Uh, I, mean, I thought it was wonderful for Sam and Deontay and, and for the coaches not panicking and all that. But uh, but I love the uh, uh, the Washington, I mean, the Stanford game at home where, uh, you know, the fans rush the field and uh, when that, that ever happened at USC. Uh, I thought that was, they played just 13 players or 12 on defense. Uh, I thought that was uh, okay. that was special. I thought you know taking Oregon out, uh, you know that was thirty eight thirty five. It was a whole lot more one sided than that. You know, just line. That was the game where Phil Knight hit all the Nike guys there, LeBron James, and all those guys there for national television, and uh, and all Lane dressed up in his ski outfit to remind everybody how cold it was, and it had all the elements of uh, of 
<laughs> of a great USC win on the road. Uh, so, so I would I would include that one, and, and we said the the Washington game and the Stanford game. Those would be my three uh, favorites, I think, of, of that group. Uh, I, I like those. Yeah, I would say Kinda that underdog. too. Yeah, you got a you got a Lane Kiffin game where he you know dressed in those like white hoodie or whatever it was, or he, he made himself look like as cold as possible. <laughs> ski cap. The yeah. Ski cap. Ski cap. Um, and you know they blew that, that kind of a been the Lane's end. coolest. That was. That, uh, that had to be Lane's coolest moment ever. Yes. Uh, I thought, you know, he planned that and they just lined up and knocked him off the ball for three quarters. And then they, Monty went in to prevent defense or whatever the hell, you know, and they <laughs> dropped the ball inside the 10 yard lines, lost one touchdown. And, uh, so that, that should have been a romp, but it ended up the guy had to miss a field goal to win that one. But still, that was, uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun, and that was a good that was a big time win, I think. Yeah, and then you got Orgeron, with Stanford, right? Uh, so interim, he gets that yes. big yep. win. Uh, what were they ranked? They were like top five at the time, or something. Third or fourth? They were third or fourth. Yeah, yeah third or fourth. So I think that was a huge one for Orgeron, and you kind of thought that would bring him back, uh, which it did not, obviously. And then uh, uh, the the Washington one from 2016. You know, USC went on that nine-game winning streak, and there there were some you know bad teams along the way there, but that was a big one, you know. And and for a Sam Darnold to go against Jake Browning up there, and then really just put it to him, you know, it wasn't really that close. So and the USC defense didn't let didn't let Washington in the game much. They just didn't. I mean, they just said we're better than you. We're bigger. We're athletic, more athletic. Porter Gustin hit a, and I thought a really. A uh, really good game, and and China and those guys, and and they just didn't let them play. I mean, that that's how you win. You know, USC. That's how you win games on the road. You don't let the other team play, and they basically didn't let. And and it was clear. The I mean, the Washington fans was one of those. And that's what happens in the Pac-12. If the real USC team shows up, if you're playing somebody in the Pac-12 at their place, they go, oh bleep, bleep. Yeah, <laughs> USC's back. Yeah. And then they get real quiet and and the game's over. It's like, that's how you win. I can't say it enough. You gotta be physical. You gotta take them out of the game. You just, you know, that's it. So those are the games I like. I mean, uh, uh, in all of those games, uh, you know, USC was physical and, and kind of took the heart out of the other team, uh, except for in Monty's defense and, and Oregon, uh, where they almost took the heart out of them and then they let them, let them back in. But, uh, uh, that would be, those would be my favorite. Yeah. Good one. Good c- question from Earl in West LA. Good stuff. Yeah. And, very uh, good. And some good stuff from you, Dan. Thanks for, I know we got to get your flight. I didn't hear any announcements or anything going on. You must find a quiet spot there. Yeah, I'm as far, I'm as far at the uh, end of the terminal as you can possibly be. So, uh, I tried to, locate myself uh, so I, I think i pulled it off here i was funny i was coming back through dallas uh for the opening and i was in love I, I was at love fields or the other one not dfw and i just saw the spot mm. like it was like a southwest like um uh like customer service area that i remember coming back from the uh the the alabama game uh where usc got thumped um, we're in Dallas, so mm. I did an emergency podcast in that in that terminal. So I we, I walked by. And I'm like, oh, I remember doing it. a podcast from in here. Yeah. 
So we'll see. Hopefully, well, uh, you don't want to be in those customer service areas uh, much. Uh, you, you like to avoid the. When they tell you to go see the CSA person, you say, no, I, uh, no, no, I don't want to see this. <laughs> that usually means your flight has been canceled. Yeah, oh. I, I think it was late. Yeah. I think it was like in the evening or at night or something. So like there wasn't anyone working there. So I kind of had like the little spot to myself. I could do a podcast in there, but yeah. Uh, That's kind of where I am. Yeah. Another airport podcast for, for us. So with Dan, the airport. Well, Dan, thanks again. <laughs> and uh, safe travels back. And okay. we'll, we'll see you out there. See you in uh, a little bit. See you next week. Sounds good. Stay All right. Cool. That is uh, Dan Weber. Yeah, it's okay. hot, hot, hot here in LA. So you're going to, you're going to experience right that when you get back there. <laughs> it was uh it was like heat index of 109 the other day here Ooh. uh that uh, now i get to come to la and it's going to be the same way I, what's going on here yeah it's crazy. anyway i'll catch you then when i get there sounds good all right that's dan weber take care uh thanks to dan and thanks to uh keely who we don't have on the microphone right now but she was producing in the background and i'm your host ryan abraham hope you guys enjoyed this edition hope you had a great week here, 4th of July, Independence Day week, and we'll be back with more shows next week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you then. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.